Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. It's Matt Kirkner, your host for the Tech Ed Podcast, and there are a few things about education that I just think are really, really important, really, really near and dear to my heart. The first one is the importance of employers engaging with educators and making sure that we are building those bonds. Yes, employers and educators speak different languages, but when we get them around the table, when we check the agendas at the door, when we think about what is best for students, amazing things can happen. I'm also a huge believer in project-based learning. If you listen to us regularly, you know that I struggled all through K-12 with the whole traditional education model. And I didn't realize until years and years later that the reason for that was that I learned by doing. I had a hard time learning in a classroom. I had a hard time learning out of a book. But if I could get my hands on something, if I could do a project, that was how I learned. I'm also a huge believer that as educators, it doesn't matter how we want to teach. What is important is how the student learns and that we have to modify our teaching models in such a way that students respond to them. So as I think about these things that are so very important to me, that these are the reasons that I have really been looking forward to the conversation that we are going to have today. The organization is called Jobs for America's Graduates, or JAG, and my guest today is that organization's Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Janelle DeRay. Janelle, thanks so much for coming on the Tech Ed Podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. We're going to have all kinds of discussions around your organization today, but I want to start out at 30,000 feet. For our listeners who may not be familiar with Jobs for America's graduates, give our audience a brief overview of the organization. Sure. Well, our mission is to empower the nation's young people with the skills and the support they need to succeed in education, employment, and life. And Matt, when you were talking about what you're passionate about and your background and how you learn, I was thinking of our mission and our vision is all young people are prepared for future success. So we implement a lot of those things that you talked about, but quite simply empowering the nation's young people with the support and skills they need to succeed in education, employment, and life. And I have to tell you that I know I'm talking with an organization that has it figured out when you start with your mission and your vision. And I can tell already, Janelle, that that mission and vision aren't just something that you hang on the wall in the lobby for people to look at, that you live that, that you breathe that, that you're an incredible organization, your really, really deep field of directors in your organization are all living and breathing that mission and vision. And so we're we're really looking forward to having this conversation about JAG, getting into more detail about what your organization does. And I want to start that discussion right here. It isn't a secret, and especially in this day and age, that underrepresented populations of students in the United States are facing inequalities that lead to all kinds of challenges in their education and in their career pathways, and and those lead into their adult lives. So give us some data that can paint a picture for our audience of the demographics of students that you serve, and how does that data describe their current situation, and more important, their future outlook? Absolutely. So to start at the top, we're serving nearly 70,000 young people across nearly 1,500 communities in 39 states. Those young people come with a lot of barriers, challenges, I would say 
areas of opportunity, but nearly or about 75% of our young people are eligible for free or reduced lunch. Just under 60%, 57% of them live in a single uh, parent household. 40% of them have quote unquote low academic performance. Nearly three quarters of them have no work experience or inadequate work experience. And almost a quarter of them have been suspended, expelled on probation during high school. Over 30% of them have excessive absences. So that's what we're facing, what young people are facing when they come to the program. On the other side, about nearly 50%, 49% of them are male, 4% are non-binary, 47% are female, nearly 60% of our young people are youth of color. So when you take that all together, the whole point of JAG, when we were formed over 40 years ago, we wanted to reach those young people who are having some challenging experiences, oftentimes outside of school, but then we see that manifest in school. We want to serve young people who have been historically disconnected, underrepresented groups, and we want to meet them where they are at and provide them the skills and support, different approaches to ensure that number one, we are there for them. We can help them overcome those challenges. And then we can bring in some of those practical areas that matter to them. I want to get a job one day. I need to make money. School is boring. I'm acting out because it doesn't make sense to me. I have stuff going on at home that is impacting me. You know, a lot of our teachers, you know, when when a young person falls asleep in school, traditionally it's, let's get them out of a class. You can't fall asleep. We look at them and say, why are you falling asleep? And oftentimes I was working last night to put food on the table. I'm tired. Mom and dad were in a fight. I didn't get any sleep. So those are the young people that we serve. And I can't wait until we get to some of those outcomes that they achieve because it's incredible. Well, it, it is incredible. First of all, just that group of individuals that you're serving. And when so many of us you know, sit at home at night and think about some of the challenges that are facing us here in the United States of America or around the globe, you know, I think tremendous amounts of good intentions. We see these underserved populations. We see people that maybe didn't have the opportunities that, that others of us did. And we want to do something you have an organization that actually is doing something, Janelle, and as we talk about just the, the various populations that you're serving, I'm a data person and I love the fact that you can point to these percentages. You really understand the populations of individuals that you're serving, doing really important work. I want to get to the outcomes as well, but before we do that, let's talk a bit about the JAG model. So you have these students, these 70,000, it's just kind of a mind-boggling number of students that you're serving, that, that your your organization is working with. What does it feel like to be part of the part of the JAG model? What what is it the exact work that you're doing? Yeah, well we have we have 39 affiliates who are implementing the program. So you have the traditional strategic plan, the the support at the top level of those affiliate organizations, but from a young person's perspective, they most likely are gonna encounter JAG in their in their school setting. So we serve primarily high school age students. We do have applications to middle school programs for young people who have been disconnected. So we serve them in the community. But from a young person's perspective, they're in their class, they're in their school, and maybe a teacher, the teacher of the JAG program, the JAG class reaches out to them and say, I really, I really want you to be in my class. You should consider it. 
And they'll sit down with them. They'll say, this is not your traditional class. We're going to teach you the things that are going to help you get a job. I'm not going to grind you all day, every day about what's going on. I'm going to support you in getting your your grades up, but I'm not going to grind you all day about it. But I am going to hold you accountable in your own success. We're going to be very active in this class. We're going to have projects. You're going to have voice and choice in how you approach this. We're going to bring in employers from the community. We're going to have field trips. And I really think you should consider this. And you hear some of these stories of specialists who are educators who are working on a student, you know, maybe for a year or two before they enter the class. But when they do, by and large, what we hear from our young people is JAG has become a family. It is a safe space where I can be my authentic self. I used to be incredibly shy. I never spoke up. And now I'm doing public speaking and competing in the events of our JAG Career Association. I ran for vice president, and I'm now the vice president of my career association and my local chapter. And I helped to facilitate an engagement with an employer in the community where we toured a manufacturing facility. And now I'm entering an apprenticeship program upon graduation because I want to get a job. And I really like the HR manager at the, at the facility. And he and I have developed a relationship. That is how a young person, I think, experiences the model. Of course, we have all these things on the back. There's 10 model components. We train in all of it. We have data up to wazoo. Um, but from a young person's perspective, that's what they'll share. Well, and when you think about just instilling the, you know, whether it's the confidence that you talk about in that young person, leadership, giving them exposure to employers, to careers, uh, you know, the fact that somebody takes an interest in them. And, and for many of these young people, perhaps it's the first time where somebody said, you know, those words, I want you in my class. I want you to be a part of what we're doing. You know, maybe, unfortunately, the first time they've heard that. And, and what an inspiring, an inspiring thing for them to hear. You're so right. The, the two things that we hear often is nobody invited me to be a part of anything before, number one. And number two, somebody listened. Somebody listened. And on the first part, so I mentioned that National Career Association. So when the program was designed by our founder and many, many other amazing leaders that specifically came together to reach young people who were, quote unquote, falling through the cracks, the need for a student-led organization was at the forefront because our these young people were not in the Glee Club, they're not in DECA, they're not in band, they're not in choir. They, we wanted them to lead in something. So the JAG Career Association focuses on five principles, civic engagement, social engagement, leadership development, career development, and service learning. And all young people are a member of it. They run for office for their local chapters. They can then compete for some state chapters. And actually during COVID, we established the JAG National Career Association for the first time in our history. Always been on our long-term list, never did it. When COVID hit, we were very nervous about student disengagement. We wanted to mitigate that. We created the National Career Association as a way to get them involved in something even larger. And just uh, two months ago, we elected our first slate of national officers. We have a president, president-elect, secretary, and a parliamentarian. And in fact, tonight, I'm having dinner with our president-elect and her father because she's joined me in town for an event around education and connecting education to workforce. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. How how special is that? First of all, the thing that occurs to me is as hard as COVID has been for so many of us in so many ways, there were some silver linings. And in a lot of organizations, you had to find ways to innovate 
a lot of those innovations have carried forward. And it sounds like in, in your particular case, an initiative that had been on the on the list for quite some time, you know, came to the top of the list. And I like the way you put it. It wasn't about we were worried about sustaining our organization. You said you're worried about your students. You were worried about the people that you're serving, the people that are benefiting from the work that you're doing and making sure that they didn't become disengaged. Because when you're talking about somebody, as you began that answer, who says that nobody's ever listened to me, nobody's ever invited me to be a part of something, that's an disengaged individual. And once you have your arms around that person and that you in a, in a loving way and you have them engaged in the incredible work that you're doing, you don't want to miss an opportunity to maintain that. And in so many ways, COVID was that you know potential risk. So Janelle, one of the things you mentioned earlier in our discussion today was about the outcomes that Jobs for America's graduates provides for your students. I want to give you an opportunity to just share those with our audience. As a student that's going through this process, a student that has been through your program, what are the outcomes that they enjoy as a result? Absolutely. So we follow up with all of our students for a full year after they graduate from high school. So I just want to preface that these outcomes are 12 months after a young person has either got their GED or graduated from high school. But for the class of 2020, so think of it, this is dead center of COVID, a 96.8% high school graduation rate. For our, what we have full-time positive outcomes. So these are students who are going into the workforce into post-secondary education and the military into some combination, 96.4%. And then a further education rate of 40%. And then when we look at the class of 2021, we actually saw some of those numbers go up. We maintained a 96% graduation rate. Our kids had a 98% positive, full-time positive outcomes rate and 96% further education rate. And when you think of the nation throughout COVID, we have seen a very big historic decline in post-secondary enrollment. Well, for our kids, we actually saw increases. And that is all-inclusive of the word, two-year, four-year certification programs, apprenticeship programs. We look at that and we just had to celebrate our specialists because it's it's not me doing this work at the front lines. It's our specialists, our educators who are working with these young people each and every day and making sure that they saw, saw that really tough period through. And I think our students' outcomes just demonstrate their commitment, but also the incredible the incredible ability that our young people have. It speaks to all of those, the incredible commitment on the part of your specialists, on the part of your teachers, the incredible commitment on the part of your students to create those kind of results. And to your point, during COVID, which we, we just have to know and we all know is probably one of the most, if not the most tumultuous periods in the history of American education. So to produce those kind of results through that trauma, through those challenges, really, really impressive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, Hats off to the specialists and the students. Let's talk now a little bit. I mean, you've got a really comprehensive approach and and you've touched on some of that. And, and, and a lot of that is the work that you're doing. And a lot of it is fitting into work that's being done around the nation. Let's start kind of on the positive and talk to Nell about when you look at the United States as a whole, and I'm talking about school districts and the work they're doing, nonprofit youth resource initiatives, the work that employers are doing, public policy and legislation. What do you think we're doing well at this point in time to address the needs of underrepresented youth? Well, I think teachers have been getting a lot of flack. There's always this back and forth discussion about what we can do better. And clearly we can do better, but I'm rereading Ted Dintersmith's book, What School Could Be. And in that book, he 
goes to all 50 states and visits schools. And he lifts up what educators are doing across the country and what really, really works well. And I think we have so many dedicated people who want to be there for young people, want to support them for young people. They're navigating tests. They're navigating our traditional systems of education. And really, they just, they want to serve those kids and they want to emulate a lot of, I think, what we do in JAG and what other organizations do. So as I'm reading this book, I just want to lift up and celebrate educators who have been through hell and back over the last couple of years and their continuous innovation to support young people. And kudos to those who are who are going after project-based learning. That has been a movement for, for I think, over the last 10 to 15 years. Our Iowa affiliate has been a pioneer in that space. And that's how we adopted it at the national level because they had 10 years of experience in delivering this. So I think that's an exciting thing that we're facing as a nation is that we're really getting into learning by doing, as you said at the opening, and and recognizing that our educational system, while all good intentions, was meant to uh, ensure that we have, that young people have the basic skills they need to to do okay, to do well. I, I say okay is because it was developed in uh, for reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we haven't adjusted that approach to emulate the skills that are needed to thrive in today's society, today's economy. So I'm excited that we're seeing more momentum around that. We have more best practices. We have more evidence that guess what? Young people do better when we have a classroom that emulates how the real world works, how a place of business works. And that means embracing failure, embracing problems and learning by doing. Absolutely. So I think that's a positive. Well, it's all, it's, it's all positive and music to my ears. You know, we had Joe Gothard, I know you're a Minnesota native and he's the, uh, the superintendent of the uh, St. Paul school district. And one of the things that he said is if you look at traditional education, if you look at the way we educate most students here in the United States, we haven't really changed much since the 1950s. You know, our classrooms look about the same. We're teaching a lot of the same topics. Or even before that. Isn't that right? Yeah, even before that. I mean, Ted Dungersmith would argue that it wasn't until Carnegie, Rockefeller, all those guys came together and said, we need some sort of basic public education so people who come to the factories can read, write, and do math. Right. And he would argue that we haven't changed it really since then. Yeah, fascinating. That goes back even further than that. And so in as much as the the rest of the world has changed in so many ways, and we can list them out and spend an entire episode talking about that, uh, making sure that we're finding ways to evolve education. As you're talking about things like the importance of teachers, couldn't agree more. It has been a crazy couple of years for them. And, and thank goodness for the ones that have stuck it out and are still serving our, our schools and serving our students the way that they are. And then obviously the whole project-based learning, which I just couldn't be a bigger advocate of, and in part because that's you know, that's who I am and that's how I learn. But I think you're right. I think we are starting to evolve in some important ways. We can always accelerate that and move more quickly, but moving in the right direction. So we started on the positive. Let's talk maybe about the negative a little bit of all the initiatives and the organizations that we set up to to, to address inequalities, to address inefficiencies in education. Uh, Where do you think we're missing the mark? What are we not doing enough of and what do we need to do more of? I think just listening, listening to young people, Part of our effort with the National Career Association is to create that national platform for young people to voice about, this is what JAG is doing. This is our historical approach. How can we improve it? How can we do better? And I think that, you know, when we get into some of these federal policies and with all good intentions to support young people, are we asking young people, are we lifting their voices up enough 
to know how these policies or these approaches directly impact them and their day-to-day lives and their experiences? And, or are they even attractive? You know, what, what, what do you need in the classroom to be excited uh, to want to come to school every day? What do you want to learn? And then it's our job to figure out how we can deliver it in the way that is attractive to them and is relevant to the opportunities that will be available to them upon graduation in the in the workforce. Absolutely. You think about that student, the example you gave before, the student falling asleep in the classroom. And, and yeah, I went through an education pathway where, you know, you get uh, you get scolded for that. You get disciplined or punished for falling asleep in class. And and I, I actually didn't have that problem, but I had some friends who did. And, and their answer was always, you know, maybe if the teacher made the class a little more interesting, I wouldn't be falling asleep in the middle of it. Definitely some opportunities for us to listen to students and engage with them. Yeah. And how can we support our teachers in their position so they can have some of that flexibility, you know, so they're not having to make sure they're teaching to this standard or this test. We definitely need standards in some of those key areas, but how can we do that through demonstration rather than testing? Yeah. Plenty of opportunities to disrupt the world of education. And speaking of disruption, I want to talk now a little bit about the JAG Advantage and, you know, tell us about the, I've done a little bit of research. Tell us about the three components. I know our audience is going to love hearing about that. And how does that comprehensive approach generate a stronger impact for students? Yeah, absolutely. So it was back in, we did a soft approach of project-based learning in 2015. And then our now VP of programs, Carrie Webb, who's her first job out of college, by the way, was a JAG specialist. So once you get involved with JAG, you just don't go away. She was tasked by our national organization to go to Iowa and see what they were doing because they had been working with the Buck Institute of Education looking at project-based learning. And what she saw was a JAG classroom on steroids, her words. And students were engaged in their learning. They were excited. They were rolling up their sleeves. They were getting dirty in the content and just producing amazing results in terms of their confidence, their ability to articulate very big business problems and solutions rather, and demonstrate the competencies that our program is modeled around, which are those essential skills. Coupled with that, it was also recognizing that we need to do more in supporting our young people where they are at. So a lot of our kids have had adverse childhood experiences or ACEs and have had traumatic experiences or may still be going through that. So trauma-informed care was another element that we needed to to bring and actually have that officially be our foundation. We were doing it already, but how could we support our specialists, our educators to have the tools, the resources, and also just understand what happens to a young person who's experienced trauma when they're put into a situation of conflict, how that impacts their brain and how we can support them in coming out of that traumatic cortisol frozen element and work through that. And then of course, employer engagement. How does employer, how do we tie employers to all this? So the JAG Advantage brings together these three elements, project-based learning, trauma-informed care, and employer engagement. And in 2018, we made a commitment to enhance our model services by bringing these student-centered learning strategies to the fold. I think for many of our specialists, they say, we're already doing this, but this is providing more resources, more background information, some more structure for those who wanted to follow PBL closer. And it it was a very big labor of love. We did it over two years. We rolled out training for all of our 1,500 specialists. And it wasn't until our board meeting 
last month when one of our board members doubled down on project-based learning and he said, you know, when JAG National, JAG National already had great numbers, aggregate numbers from all of our young people, when we implemented the JAG Advantage and project-based learning, we saw those numbers go up. Yeah, should probably shouldn't surprise us, right? Project-based learning and hands-on learning, but uh, but it really does validate that, that very important uh, point that that everybody learns a little bit differently and so many of us learn by doing and, and learn by actually engaging in a, in a physical way and and the more opportunities that we can create for our young people to learn in that fashion, I think the, the quicker we're going to accelerate education. And it sounds like this, this three-pronged approach or the three strategies of project-based learning, trauma-informed care, and involving employers, which I'm just a, a huge fan of as well, is creating some amazing results. One of the things I always love to hear about, Janelle, is you know specific stories. So we can talk about success in generalities. We can talk about success in data. And, and that, that speaks you know, certainly at one level. When we can talk about an individual student whose life was affected, who ended up on this trajectory they never would have been on without the important work that your organization is doing, that in many ways for me is, is what really can drive this home. Is there a specific success story of a JAG student that has a particular impact or significance for you or for the organization? There's so many, but one that always stands out to me is from quite a few, quite a few years ago, probably about seven years ago at this point, we were working on a, a national event around education and employment initiatives and work with some other leading organizations in this space. So we were able to bring a JAG alum to serve as one of the keynotes for this conference. And she was a Jobs for Nevada's graduates alumna. And when she was about 15, she was homeless. Her mother was addicted to drugs, so she left. And she was living on a bus with her boyfriend at the time. And she was careful to note, she's like, I know some people would judge that as a negative thing, being so young and staying with my boyfriend, but he was a huge support to me at the time from a motivational aspect. So she's living on this bus. She's going to school at four or five in the morning to shower in the locker room before the rest of the kids get there. And then um, in the hallways, she you know, meets the JAG specialist. She's recruited to the program. And what an amazing woman. I mean, this girl probably would have left school because of all the issues she was facing at home. And logistically, I mean, a lot of adults couldn't handle that. And here's this 15-year-old doing this. She gets into the program. She develops her skills, you know, her confidence, public speaking, um, resume development, applying for jobs, et cetera. And the first time we met her, she, it was uh, at the time, Governor Sandoval was, I think, our vice chair. So she spoke at the JAG board of directors meeting that he hosted. And she, he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? She was interested in going into public policy. And she had a lot of great ideas on how she could support the country. And she said, first, I'm going to run for local uh, local assembly. And I'm going to, she said it was going to be in Nevada or Texas. She, Cause she had figured out all the rules of how she could get in, you know, more quickly. Then she said, then I'm going to run for governor. So she basically was looking at the governor and saying, I'm coming for your job. <laughs> then she ultimately wanted to support the country. Um, but she did not want to be president of the United States because they'd be termed out after eight years. And she thought she, had, she couldn't get all the work that she wanted to get done in eight so she's her ultimate goal was becoming U.S. Speaker of the House. Yeah. And so this is the first time we heard a story. She tells the story to an auditorium of, you know, a thousand people 
confidently walking across the stage, uh, a young black woman just operating in her full agency. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And, you know, I think of her story where she was before she found JAG and then also her specialist who saw that spark in her and supported her in her journey. Yeah. Imagine, and literally just imagine being 15 years old, being homeless, living on a bus and having, I mean, first of all, having the tenacity to even get up and go to school and, and, and take a shower at four in the morning and even be there and then capitalize on this opportunity that JAG provided to her. And then evolve to a place where you can legitimately say, I want to be a public servant. I want to serve in my state assembly. I want to be the governor of my state. I want to, I want to be the speaker of the house. And, and actually to have that within her mental paradigm uh, really speaks to the magic through things that you mentioned, leadership, confidence, public speaking, resume development, really helps these young people think about things in a totally different way. Janelle DeRay, the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Jobs for America's Graduates is with us today on the Tech Ed Podcast. Janelle, I want to talk now about collaboration. You've talked many times already in this podcast about the importance of involving employers and employer engagement. And it's one of the three aspects of the JAG Advantage that we talked about. So give us some examples of employer partners. What value do they bring to your organization? And more important, what value do they get through their participation in JAG programs? Great question. So engaging employers has been a part of our model since inception 40, 42 years ago. At that time, it was called employer marketing because it was the specialist job to market to employers in their community the skills students have learned. Of course, we've completely flipped that. Now young people are at the center of that outreach. They're engaging employers. We have a framework. It's all about exploration for the young people, exposure to that industry or that job they're interested in, experience alongside the employer, going to the facilities, having employers come in the classroom, and then the ultimate goal of getting into that job, getting into that longer term career, getting into that apprenticeship program. But so through those steps, we can engage employers at various times throughout the program, including all the way to middle school. How can we help expose students to industries that are in their community? A few examples that pop out at me, I'm going to go back to Nevada. When Nevada was elected for Tesla's Gigafactory, we knew that they were going to have to hire a lot of people. Our executive director there, the higher education commission there, the workforce system there, they all came together and started a pilot program for JAG students to engage at that gigafactory. So for juniors, they'd go up there, they would do mock interviews, they'd do tours. But for seniors, our JAG program, our specialists had done their homework, they had engaged with Tesla, so they knew what some of those key skills and the job looked like. So then they're working with young people, identifying their interests, their aptitude. So then by the time seniors are going to this Tesla Gigafactory, they're actually interviewing for positions. And not only that, then they're going into a, an apprenticeship program. I always say advanced manufacturing, but it's not that. It's something sexier that has to do with like robotics, AI, or something like that. They go to Truckee Community College. So they're earning credits in their post-secondary education. They're getting paid. I think that they've struck a deal this is not with every employer engagement partnership, but some of our students have gotten equity in the company. So you think of a young person, Tesla stock five years ago, an 18-year-old. I mean, I love the idea of the financial literacy component and then also just building their wealth. And they've hired about 150 of our students over those last few years. And we've had such great success stories of our students um, entering and emerging a future job, you could say. Uh, that's one example. We have similar examples with John Deere in Iowa. We have a lot of partnerships with healthcare entities across different states. 
So it's been really fun to, to see some of these partnerships come to fruition and young people entering careers that are their jobs of the future. The last thing I'll say is we have 19,000 employers that hire our young people across the country every year. So while nationally, we bring a lot of these big name brands, this is a lot of state and local partnerships that are developed on the ground because employers have gotten to know our kids. They know the skills that they, they come equipped with. They have developed these relationships. And I think that they see greater retention and greater performance from our kids. Without question, you think about all the good that's happening, you know, these 19,000 employers that are engaged with your organization are hiring your students, uh, you know, first of all, getting obviously world-class talent and students that understand things like like leadership and public speaking and have spent time around uh, an employer's workplace to understand what the world of work is about. Uh, certainly, they're bringing tremendous value to your organization, but getting a tremendous amount in return as well. And whether that's building an electric vehicle at, at Tesla whether that's building a cedar or a combine at John Deere or working for you know one of the tens of thousands of small to mid-sized businesses all over the United States, They're just getting some phenomenal talent. Yeah. And you know, to your point about the value to employers. So uh, Principal Financial has a great partnership with Iowa Jag. And it started with the internship program over the summer. And I'll never forget one of their their VPs of HR spoke at one of our national training seminars. We were doing an employer engagement panel. And he said his first time going into the classroom, he was, he was nervous, sweating bullets. He's like, the kids just ate me alive because they could tell how nervous I was. It's very intimidating to speak to, to high schoolers for some. And he said, you know, a lot of our young people, even though they're living within downtown Des Moines, and this is their community, they said, we never thought that this building, this fancy building was for us. We just automatically wrote it off. We will never work there. That's not for us. And quote, what he said, the kid said, we thought this place was tight and white. And he said, it has been an invaluable learning experience for us and our corporate culture and our talent acquisition strategies. What are we doing to ensure that our community our young talent feel comfortable and we can support them in our corporate culture. So he said it perfectly. He said, we've learned just as much, if not more in partnering with JAG than the students. That's awesome. That's a fun story for me to hear. I've actually been in that building a number of times. So I did, oh, really? yeah, I did a lot of work with John Deere Des Moines and in uh, their plant in Ankeny back in my manufacturing days. So that I uh, really, really appreciated that example because I've engaged with John Deere in a number of projects. And, and like I said, I've been in, in their facilities in, in Des Moines a number of times. So just a great example. And it, and it really is. I mean, for a student to say, we looked at that building and never thought that was for me. And here we've got on the other side of it, manufacturing companies and other employers that are saying, oh my goodness, if we could just find new ways to access skilled talent, um, what, a, what a great bridge that your organization is building between just in that case, a you know, student who maybe, or a young person who maybe never thought they could have a career at John Deere and John Deere, who wants to attract uh, people from from all varieties and all walks of life and all socioeconomic backgrounds. Just a, a really good example, as we say, of the bridge that your organization is is building. None of that happens without leadership, and uh, certainly your leadership important to uh, Jobs for America's graduates. But I was just really impressed as I spent some time educating myself about your board of directors, and you've got them from from literally all over the political spectrum, which is which is really interesting. One of one of our guests on the Tech Ed podcast earlier this year. Uh, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers came on, uh, also had his predecessor, former Governor Scott Walker, on the podcast with us. He's now Young America's Foundation, and asked both of them questions about how vitriolic 
and how combative our political structures become. And you, you've really found a way to transcend that. And I want you to touch on that a little bit. Tell us about your board of directors as a unique group of people and how your board is set up, who's on it, and what is the goal of setting up your board in the way that you have? Yeah, well, you know, we, we launched in a governor's office. So it's no coincidence that we have 14 governors um, from both, both major parties on our board of directors. And to get to the bipartisanship and how that was embedded in our, in our program at the, at the beginning. So my boss and our president and co-founder, um, none of us would be here without, without his vision. He was the education policy advisor to Governor Pierre DuPont in Delaware and was tasked with creating a program that was going to reach the students that we serve to ensure that they had the support they needed to achieve success. And jobs for Delaware graduates worked. It, um, after a year or two at the time, Vice President Walter Mondale reached out to the governor. So you have the number two Democrat in the country reaching out to a, a conservative Republican governor. And he said, you know, we like what we're looking at what you're doing and we like what you're doing. So that bipartisanship started at day one. Then we moved into other states. Governors got on board across both political aisles and and I would say that our board meetings are really refreshing in today's environment. I think that JAG might be one of the only things that these folks can agree on. Everyone wants to see young people graduate from high school, have the skills and support they need to get a job, and then have that be sustainable for long-term success. So our board meetings are really, are really refreshing. And then I would say you add in our C-suite executives. We have the CHRO of Boeing, Mike D'Ambro serves on our board. We have um, leaders from ADM, from Microsoft, from AT&T. We have the president of the National Urban League, Mark Moriel, serve on our board. We have the president of the Society for Human Resource Management, Johnny Taylor, on our board. So you have the leaders of the country who are looking for talent, who are supporting companies who are looking for talent. And then you have the chief executives of states who hear all day, every day from employers who are in their state saying, we need to align the educational system to ensure that young people are prepared for the jobs. Otherwise, we might be moving to another state. So JAG can be a central part of that solution, right? And not only that, but we're working with young people who have been historically underrepresented. So we're reaching that population and we're working with them and we're partnering with the governors, we're partnering with these employers. And I think our board is the right group of leaders to support us in that at the top level. Well, and I think you set a really great example for other organizations. You know, when you say everybody wants to see young people graduate from high school, everybody wants to see young people have, you know, great career opportunities. And without question, um, those are both true. And then you think about the other, we could complete that everyone wants to see sentence with a whole bunch of other national initiatives um, that, you know, that we should be working on in a bipartisan fashion. And then I think your organization really does set that example to show, uh, to show folks that if we share a common goal, we can kind of check some of the agendas at the door. So certainly a tremendous amount of value coming from all of those different perspectives that you're getting from your board of directors, which if our, our listeners want to check out, can uh, can take a look on your website. It's really an impressive group of people. And to that point, uh, if our, our audience wants to learn more, and I'm sure anybody who's listening, thinking about the 70,000 students that you have involved in your programs, so many of them from underserved and underprivileged communities, so many of us want to reach those students and create better opportunities and pathways for them. If they want to learn more, where do they go to now? So our website is www.jag.org. 
And you can feel free to send us a note on there. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want to reach out directly. Janelle DeRay, J-A-N-E-L-L-E, D-U-R-A-Y. I'm sure it'll be spelled out in the description of this podcast. But yeah, I there's so many different ways to engage with our organization, whether nationally or through your local connections with affiliates if we're in your state. We would love to get involved. Awesome. We'll make sure all that ends up in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Jag and you want to connect with Janelle, now you know where to go to learn more. We've learned so much from you, Janelle, and I want to learn one more thing, a question we love asking our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast. And as much as we have a lot of students that tune in and listen to us every week, if you could give one piece of advice to a high school sophomore as they think about their future pathway, what's that piece of advice? I would say to reach out to the adults around you or not around you that inspire you and ask them any questions, get some mentors, don't be shy. I was one of those kids that, you know, I I had a lot of ambitions and aspirations. And when I first moved to DC, there were people that looking back on it, they were really making an interest in me, putting an interest in me, but I didn't necessarily leverage that handout, not a handout, you know what I mean? Like reaching out, that leaning in, um, especially women, women leaders who I think maybe saw me as a young woman and they wanted to support. I didn't lean into that as I wish I would have. And I I think it's because I had that imposter syndrome. I wasn't sure that, why would they want to talk to me? Why would they want to spend time with me? I'm just an intern. I don't know what I'm doing. Don't be shy. As people move up in their careers, as they gain experience, by and large, they want to impart it and they want to support the next generation and they want to learn from the next generation. So I would say, identify those people that you look up to, whether you know them or not. If you don't, go on LinkedIn, figure out a way to reach them, talk to your circles. There's always those few degrees of separation. Just really lean into that and create what I like to call your own board of directors for your life. Find that person who can advise you financially. Find that person who can advise you in a career position. Find that person who can advise you through sticky, sticky personal situations, you know, whatever it may be, but develop your own personal board of directors and you will go a lot further faster. Develop your own personal board of directors. I love the way you put that, a board of directors for your life. And I think you're exactly right. People want to help and and young people. And I was probably the same way. You don't realize how open individuals as they moved ahead in their career to whatever level of of success they've managed to attain want to help other people, want to answer questions. They actually boost their own egos a little bit by having that opportunity. And you're right. As you look at how much the world is changing as an an adult, having a connection to a younger person that has a different perception and maybe is tuned into things that you're not, that individual is going to get benefit as well. So it comes back in so many ways to this topic we've touched on numerous times throughout this podcast, which is having the confidence to do what it is that you want to do, having that confidence to reach out, to put yourself out there. And it's clear to me that that's such a key element that these 70,000 young people are getting is having the confidence to chase their dreams, to go after what they want in a realistic way, in an employer-driven way, in in a way that really puts them on a trajectory toward a life they never would have had without your leadership and without your organization. I want to thank you, Janelle, for that work. Thank your organization for that work. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Tech Ed Podcast. It's my pleasure, Matt. And I look forward to hearing from any of you who were interested. We have a really exciting set of three-year strategic goals, Youth Opportunities and Outcomes 2024, all created based on our learnings from COVID and recognizing 
that there are there are things that work. We can serve the people that need it the most and and provide that that jag advantage, as we like to say. So if you're interested in learning more about where we're going over the next three years, please reach out. I'd love to share more. Prepare for the emails, prepare for the LinkedIn connections. I know people are going to be in touch now. You're doing amazing work. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Great being here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week. 